Hello again, everyone. This is Josh, and welcome back to the listening room. Listen to what the flower people say. Episode four of the Listening Room. Okay, okay. I have a good friend of mine who gave me some sound effects and uh, figured I'd use them on the show. So thank you, TK. Hopefully, I can fit them in somewhere else, but uh, we'll see. All right, so here we are. This is the last episode of Coheed Month, and we're going to wrap up in Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. It's been a good run so far. Uh, like I said on the last episode, even coming back, I've listened to these albums so many times, but coming back and taking apart the lyrics along with the music and really trying to listen harder to everything that's going on in these songs has really been beneficial for me. I've, I've loved it. I can't wait to expand my horizons and take a look at other albums that maybe I haven't listened to as intently. I hope you guys are having a good time listening to these albums as well. And, uh, you know, any suggestions that you have for music that you really like, I'd love to hear it as well. Um, I've got plenty of music at home to listen to, so there is no lack of things. But, of course, I'm always finding artists who really surprise me with things that they're doing, and I really enjoy it. I found my musical tastes are always changing, always hopefully growing, uh, not so much shedding things that I I dislike. Of course, there is that uh, more juvenile side of me that likes certain things and certain themes in my music, but, uh, you know... There's not so much of that as much anymore nowadays. Hopefully. I don't know. I'll always be a kid, right? Just a a kid with a kid. Kids having kids all over the place. Yeah, okay. So uh, we are on track six, Blood Red Summer. Faint white figures paint my sleep. Please don't tell my secrets. So if you remember from last week's episode, or if you've been listening to this album by yourself, the song immediately preceding this one was The Crowing, which was this big, epic, uh, musically and lyrically song. And then it's followed up by this more sparse, kind of bubbly pop tune the Blood Red Summer. This was the second single off the album. It's a lot more straightforward, uh, especially in contrast to the huge, sprawling crowing before it. This band certainly knows how to shift gears and not do the same thing twice, uh, even if it feels more like a complete 180 from what they've just done. 
When listening through this song again, one thing that I noticed was the distinctness of the two guitars, um, and not necessarily in tone, but just what they're playing. If you listen to one of them by themselves, it, the song would have a much different feel, but combining these two guitar parts gives it the sound that they want for the song. The palm-muted guitar just kind of pushes things along while the more meandering lead line that Travis is playing gives it more of the feel of what Blood Red Summer is going for. Even when the distorted guitars come in at the chorus, they aren't allowed to take over. They're more in the back seat of the song. The rhythm section is much more simple. You know, there's a four-on-the-floor groove playing from the drums, and the bass doesn't really come out from behind the other instruments to, to play first chair. It's really more laid back and more simple. I think the harmony vocals on this song really give the song its flavor. They really make this song. There's lots of harmony vocals. Lots of background vocals, lots of wo-o-o's that you can sing along to and just have a good time with. There's a tambourine at the bridge, which helps to kind of differentiate itself from the rest of the song. You know, it really just sounds like they had fun with this song. They layer on all the different vocals at the last chorus, along with hand claps when they go into that last chorus. Um, it's a real just kind of bouncy, fun song. You know, in my mind, this song, it ends with the music being sucked into this real mid-rangey kind of sound. It sounds like it's coming from an old radio. To me, it's kind of a nod and a wink to the listener. You know, this song was made for the radio. Just kind of more background music, not as dense as the rest of the songs on this album. The lyrics to the song are interesting. The song definitely paints word pictures all over the place, but I don't exactly know what it's saying overall, like who's saying what and what purpose it plays in the story. Especially with a name like Blood Red Summer, and you kind of you kind of brace yourself for what's coming lyrically with such a poppy song. It's really not as as bad, as gory as you're expecting. There are some cool lines like the opener, faint white figures paint my sleep, please don't tell my secrets, keep them hidden. And in the second verse, so destined I am to walk among the dark, a child in keeping secrets from. And then at the end, what did I do to deserve this? So it gives off a feeling of pain for your mistakes. It has this sense of sincerity to it that he doesn't want to keep secrets. The chorus, when the answer that you want is in the question what you state, come what may. It it gives ideas. Like I said, it paints these word pictures, but it's really vague to me. I don't know what's going on in the story during this song, even as someone who um, knows the story to this album. This one's a bit of an anomaly to me. And to be completely honest, it's not one of my favorite songs on the record. A little too laid back. I see what they were trying to do, but um, it doesn't hit me like a lot of the rest of the record does. Certainly not a bad song. It's fun to sing along to. It's catchy and it's upbeat. But I like the more introspective coheed that, that tends to show more emotion. 
Track 7, The Camper Valorium 1, Faint of Hearts. There's a little bit of debate as to whether it is the Camper Valorium or the Valorium Camper. Either way, it doesn't really matter. That's just referencing a spaceship in the story of Coheed and Cambria. This is the first suite of songs that we see Coheed and Cambria doing. They're going to do this on subsequent albums as well, where they kind of tackle a certain theme throughout a number of songs. In this one, because it's the Camper Valorium, the ship's pilot, Al the Killer, is actually the uh, centerpiece of all three of these songs in the story. Now, I'm not smart enough. I don't know if it carries over any certain musical themes. I can't tell but uh, it, it may do that as well. I don't know. I just know that the story is there. These three songs kind of sum up this character really well and give you an idea of who he is. So this song, I think, is also a really fun song. I think they did a really good job of iterating on one idea with this song. It does gradually change. It still has that same um, progression to it where it's not a simple layout arrangement of the song, but it is a bit more complex than that. But I think the idea here is more of a classic rock sound. You hear it from the very beginning with the guitar solo coming in. You can hear um, what I believe to be a cowbell. The drums are playing a cowbell at the beginning there. You hear them laughing. And that may pertain to the story, but it gives me the feel that they're really just enjoying playing the song. And then um, this constant refrain throughout the song of cuckoo kachoo that kind of makes me think of the Beatles or kind of just classic rock music in general. The groove is strong on this song, uh, definitely centered around the feeling that the drums and the bass are giving you. The vocal melody, I think, feels it too. It just locks in with that groove couple cool things to note, just the end of the chorus into the second verse, there's that tambourine. And bridge two is really interesting to me. I think it actually could have been much heavier with um, what sounds like a double bass. Now, I know that Josh doesn't like playing double bass, so that it's just the one bass drum that he's hitting, but it's got kind of that uh, galloping sound that Iron Maiden likes to do on um, a part of the bridge here. It's a multi-part bridge, but you can hear it kind of in the second part of that bridge. It could have been a lot heavier, but they really restrained it to keep that classic rock feel. And again, that's why I think this whole song just has the idea of making a classic rock song iterated upon in multiple ways. It's a very cohesive package. Now the lyrics I think are pretty cool too. I remember even before I learned much about the story, you kind of find out what the song is actually about at the very end of the song uh, because the end of the chorus throughout the song is good night, sleep tight, my love. And then at the very end, he changes it. It's good night, sleep tight, my gun. So this song actually gives you the idea that it's that it's a love song to a person and then changes it and reveals at the end that the whole time this love song was actually to a gun. 
which gives you an idea of who this character Al the Killer is, you know, if his title The Killer didn't already give that to you. Now, Claudio has said that it's actually about something else, but I don't even want to mention what that is because I think it kind of ruins the song and I don't want to do that to you. I think there's some really cool lyrical things going on. Um, I like this line, the sin that shapes your voice carries my ear this new disease. The sin that shapes your voice, I think it, it, when we know that this is actually talking about a gun, the voice of the gun is the gun going off, shooting someone. So that sin is taking someone's life. Al is diseased because he's a killer and he's addicted to the voice of his gun, of the shooting, of the killing. We get to see how demented Al is with this song. In the chorus, too, it sounds like he's just longing to kill someone else, if we understand this metaphor of speaking, of talking, is the gun shooting people. The chorus goes, Did somebody take your tongue? In worries of the words that you couldn't say, if they could have saved them from, but I don't want to sleep without, so I bid you good night. Tonight, sleep tight, my love. Again, I think he's just waiting for the next time that he gets to use this gun and take another life. So much so that he's actually sleeping with his gun by his side as if it were a loved one. Locked, silent, in a sofa lullaby, panic stirred me awake. Track number eight is The Camper Valorium 2, Back End of Forever. Now this song starts with the palm-muted clean guitar line and some pretty simple drums. Um, it gives it a lot of sonic room. It kind of reminds me of kind of Time Consumer or Everything Evil, the way that those songs are constructed. Now when the bass kicks in, I really like the bass line that comes throughout this song. I think after the guitars kind of lay the bed of the song, the bass is free to do what it wants to and fit in the cracks and make its own melodies. It just sounds really nice. I think also on the pre-choruses, the drum patterns are really cool. I like what Josh is doing. There is this synth that comes in at the pre-choruses that's kind of strange to me. Um, it's, it's kind of a ghostly choir pad sound, but it doesn't have much of a fade in or a lead up to when it comes in. It instills this sense of uneasiness. So in that aspect, it, it works for the overall feeling of the song. It just seems like it comes out of left field and takes over when it's there. I think it's kind of a strange decision to have it just plop right in for certain parts of the pre-chorus. One thing I think is cool is during the courses, if you really try and listen to the drums, they really bring out the attack of the ride cymbal. When Josh first hits that ride cymbal, you hear that pretty loudly. And then when he moves on to the crash cymbals, again, that sound is there, but it's a lot more subdued. If you were standing right next to Josh as he played the drums, that would all be pretty loud, but in this recording, they really bring out the first hit, that attack on the ride cymbal over the rest of the kit. I think, especially with the next album, we'll hear this a lot, the way that Josh rides the ride cymbal and that sound that comes out from it. 
choruses the the drum patterns again are pretty cool i think it kind of takes over what else is doing because to be honest i don't know that the guitar is very interesting it's not bad but it doesn't really seem to fit the song too well and i think that's my issue with the song in general the melodies of this song don't really catch me like the other songs on the album the different parts don't really feel very cohesive to me the vocals and the guitars in particular the vocals never hook me throughout the entire song um claudio has a certain style where he doesn't stick to one melody with the verses, which has been great for the rest of the album. But with this one, it seems more meandering. There's no real hook in the verses or in the choruses. I think it does get better at kind of the bridge area, but even then it it falls a little flat for me. And I think that also applies to the guitars as well. Travis is trying hard and he has some cool riffs, but because there isn't a cohesive feeling with the rhythm guitar in the song and the vocals, the lead guitar doesn't really seem to fit into place either. This song really ends up being my least favorite on the entire record. The lyrics to the song, it talks about, it gives you this picture of who Al the Killer is. I think this one is more back in time. So the previous song introduces Al as this killer who, this demented killer who loves his gun. This song kind of shows why he's that way that he is. It's his backstory. Um, and frankly, it talks about how he was spurned by a woman. Um, he still has a creepiness to him. He feels more like a weird kind of stalker dude, but the love that he has for this girl is never returned. And honestly, I think the lyrics for this song are juvenile at times. The pre-chorus goes, I'm the laughing stock of your joke. Crazy as it may seem, I cried for you when you told me to date all of the things that made you end up in my life. I'll believe anything. I have no luck with girls. And verse two, can we make plans? Can I just get through to you? Is this weird? Do I scare her? I'll wish on this. I'll wish with this. I wish that you could share the love you'd shared with others with me. And at the very end of the song, this line is repeated, I wish I would never hurt again. Ugh, really, this sounds, gosh, like preteen poetry, the way that it's written. Maybe teenage, I don't know. I, I feel so divorced from the teenage me at this point, I don't remember his way of thinking much. But it's really kind of that hard-on-the-sleeve lyricism taken to the extreme to where it just sounds childish and this guy he's spurned by a lover and he lashes out in anger maybe i can give him the benefit of the doubt and say this character al the killer has a low iq but really i i think that claudio should have reworked these lyrics um, and honestly reworked the entire song one of the last lines in the song i think though kind of sums it up this isn't love, so forever let it go, forever will it burn. Here Al decides love is just not for him. And that's when he turns inward 
and begins to kill. Track nine is the Camper Valorium 3, Al the Killer. This song immediately sounds heavy. It comes in with a thick bass line and simple distorted guitar progressions, which bring the focus back to the vocals. There's some effects on the vocals as well. It sounds like it's doubled with a different voice, and that voice sounds evil. I'm actually surprised that the drums don't sound bigger in this song. Um, I guess the reason behind that would just be so that the bass and the guitar and the vocals can really come through nice and thick and full. You really get the sense. I mean, the song is called Al the Killer. It really feels like a killer is singing this song. At the pre-chorus, there's this distorted vocal line, which is really cool with the bass backing it up. Now, I hadn't really known what Claudio was screaming for this part until I pulled out the lyric booklet, and now it's one of my favorite parts in the song. Let this colony know, in the name of the dead, we're coming. In the story, Al the Killer has actually hidden the bodies of his victims, and so to me it feels like Claudio is singing on behalf of the dead there with the distorted vocals, saying, we're coming to get you, you're going to have to pay for your sins. The chorus, I think, is surprisingly upbeat for such a dark-sounding song. Travis's guitar is loosed for more of a classic rock-feeling lead line there. The screams still sound dirty like they always have. Um, it, it definitely doesn't completely let go of the heavy, dirty feeling of the entire song. At verse 2, there's lots of background effects. If you listen in, there's more going on than guitars, bass, drums, and vocals. There's a lot of just kind of noise. I mean, I think I heard a drill in the background here just giving you this heaviness to the song. I think the background vocals in verse 2 are really cool. The ahs sound really cool. And it's interesting that they didn't give it to Travis to play, you know, on an Ebo or on his guitar, but they actually had vocals playing that line because there's not too much going on with the guitars. When the bridge comes in, the wah distorted guitar sounds pretty cool. And there are multiple screaming vocals coming in while Claudio's singing with this more direct tone. I think this song is very cohesive. This song musically has definitely grown on me. This is one that I didn't like very much at first, but the more that I listen to it, the more that I hear what's going on and the more that combine it together with the lyrics, it, I think it really fits. I, I actually really do like this song. Now the lyrics, I mean, the song's called Al the Killer. What do you expect? This song sounds like a genocidal maniac. I mean, here's the first verse. At birth given scars along tender heart liberties, injustice for awkward living situated casualties. They lay dead along your floor, careful not to wake them, they're sleeping. In the morrow's good morning, the dying will discard the wish to live. It's not in the lyric booklet, but the screaming vocals sound like in the choruses, dance upon the graves of the dead, dance upon your grave. Al the killer is only satisfied when he's killing. 
I mean, listen to this chorus. When I kill her, I'll have her. Die, white girls. Die, white girls. I've actually seen a couple album reviews online of people decrying this album because of all the gore and the torture and that the band is advocating suicide and killing white girls. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but, you know, people just take this stuff at face value sometimes. Verse 2 sounds like it comes straight out of an Edgar Allan Poe tale. Beneath the surface, sealed by the floors, boarded up, seal the lips of your voice with haste, and cower at the sounds as they make their way. There's a little bit of a change here, a little bit of complexity added in with the very last lines of the song. But killing's no fun when the heroes are none. Bye-bye, world. So Al is this demented killer who's out to kill white girls because he's been spurned by one. But he also knows that it's no fun to kill unless there's someone coming after you. He's got kind of this Joker-Batman effect where the whole reason he's full of malice and killing is so that he can be stopped. There's this part of him that wants to end what he's doing. Bye-bye, world. is a favor house Atlantic. The entire band jumps right in at the beginning of the song with Josh playing off the uh, toms there and the rest of the band just filling out this intro. I really particularly like Mike's bass line for this song. And Claudio is singing higher than in any other Coheed song. I'm pretty sure when they play this song live that they actually tune it down so that he can sing along. Um, This was the first single off the album, and it did pretty well on the radio, as I can recall. That's where I first heard it. In fact, this may have been the first song that I had heard by Coheed. It was either this or Delirium Trigger off their previous album. Uh, But it's funny. I remember hearing this on the radio when I was, gosh, probably early high school or so, and just picturing in my mind that there were two singers and it was kind of a back and forth thing between a guy and a girl and the guy had really long like teased blonde hair because he's singing so high um it was really funny when i first saw a video of these guys playing um particularly their music video for their single off their next album when it starts off big and heavy and then Claudio starts singing and you see this dude with with pretty big long hair but um he he doesn't exactly look like what you'd imagine this singer to be Anyways, this song is a pretty simple pop-punk tune um, when you think of Coheed's whole discography. It could have easily been written by Fall Out Boy or whoever else was popular at the time. 
Although I think Travis's guitar lines and Mike's bass line really make this song something special. The song has infectious melodies throughout. The vocal melodies are just on point through the entire thing. And the simple arrangement makes it a nice, digestible package for people who aren't used to the way that Coheed writes songs. I love this song, and I could listen to it on repeat for hours on end. It's got kind of a weird outro with some backmasking going on, but it doesn't sound like voices. It sounds like maybe some drums or something. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I don't know what it means. I didn't think to try and flip the audio because it doesn't sound like there's enough going on to really be interesting. The lyrics in the song are kind of cool. The first verse talks about remembering what has brought you here to this point. There's a nice snarky line in the chorus. The words you scribbled on the walls with the loss of friends that you didn't have. And I really admire the second chorus because it gives you this sense of kind of hopelessness fighting against this enemy that's so much bigger than yourself, but you're still willing to fight, willing to move forward and continue on. And then at the end, kind of accepting your fate, where he says, bye-bye, beautiful, don't bother to write. There's two references in the song to letters with the words scribbled on walls and then that don't bother to write line. Again, I think Claudio talks about writing so much in this album because as someone in a band, he's generally away from home most of the time. So writing really instills this sense of being apart from those that you love, having this distance between you and them. It's a hopeful song, but in the midst of really difficult circumstances. But you don't get that from the nice, upbeat music. But hey, I mean, it could be worse. With <laughs> As we've seen in Coheed's discography, generally when they have upbeat music, it's a nice, gory, gritty song. And this, this song really isn't. I mean, it sounds like they are in the middle of a battle, but there aren't any gory, grotesque details here. I, I Again, I just think... This is a great song. And next up we have track 11, The Light and the Glass. Slowly the pen touches paper In the guidance of the words that you write Memories roll well, like the closing track of the previous album, Godsend Conspirator, this one really calms down the pace of the album. Um, it starts off with soft, delicate singing over the acoustic guitar, and then it has some woodwinds coming in at the second half of the verse. Distorted guitars do come in kind of at the pre-chorus, but they're more pulled in the background. They're not quite out front yet until we kind of channel into the chorus itself with that chugging palm-muted guitar. And that guitar continues to drive the song and makes the song feel more like a rock song, more like what Coheed has done up to this point. The song overall has a very unconventional song structure. There's almost no repeats of different parts after it's gone to another part. So th there's not really verses to the song. There are just multiple parts and then a chorus that we return to um, maybe two or three times throughout the song. 
But what's really cool is that I think the song still feels very cohesive. All of these pieces, even though they're so different, fit together really well. It definitely stays dynamic to keep your attention through all these different parts. And with Claudio's volume, his performance, and his harmonies, he always keeps your attention. And let me say that again. I think his performance on this song is stellar. Throughout the different parts of the song, he gives different performances. Like I said, it's more of a soft, delicate type of singing in the first verse there. Uh, and then he eventually, at the end of the song, seems to be yelling out these words at the top of his range. And there's a part in the middle where it sounds a lot more heavy, and he gives this really creepy vibe with his vocals. On top of that, I think the harmonies are just so great in this song, especially when you hear the difference between the harmonies on this album and the harmonies on the second stage Turbine Blade. It's so much more clean and compact. They fit so much better than in the previous album, and it really makes the vocal melodies shine. Would it really matter? The song, again, is dynamic. At about the 3 minute and 35 second mark, the song mellows out again after it's gone down a more rock direction, and you hear the woodwinds coming in. You can kind of feel like you're almost sitting in a field on a nice, cool spring day. It's very, very mellow, even though he's singing Liar multiple times. But of course, at about 5 minutes, 15 seconds, the guitars come in and it feels a bit crazier. That's the part where I said he's got kind of the creepy vocals there. The whole part of that song feels heavier than the rest of it. Eventually, the song grows into a crescendo, like the ending of their previous album, with lots of layered, overlapping vocals, which eventually die out to a layered kids' choir that's singing and guitar solos that give off kind of this air of chaos that eventually die out to just an organ and the choir. It's a very cinematic ending. It's really cool because when I sat down just to write everything that's going in in the song, what I'm hearing are, are different woodwinds. There's an organ. There's electric piano. They use the wah pedal on the guitars. They're screaming in this song. All these elements are added to taste, like a pinch of salt, to make this a great song. There's an outro to the song, which is a glockenspiel that plays that same melody that played at the beginning. So it gives you this idea that this album has come full circle. Now, of course, there is a hidden track on the album, but I don't think it necessarily applies to the story itself sequentially. We'll get to that in just a second. From what I can tell of the lyrics, it sounds like it's Claudio talking with Nuo, or maybe not talking with Nuo, but kind of talking about Nuo in the song. If you recall, the album starts out with Claudio at Nuo's house, but not sure if he actually wants to go inside and talk to her, so he's been talking to her dog Apollo about it this entire time. This song gives me the feeling that 
he's still there. The entire album was his recollection of these events. And in this song is where he decides that he's going to move forward. He's reminisced on everything that's brought him to this place, and he's ready to move on. The first verse is, Slowly the pen touches paper, in the guidance of the words that you write, memories roll in of the things you once did, and who you had shared them with. Is somebody thinking of you? Did I bother telling you this with the words that cross teeth and jump lips? A poor choice of words in wanting to tell you anything, but words don't come with ease, they're forever my hurt. Would it really matter if you were to count the days left with your hands? Your focus secure and the loves you left well, smiles staged in photographs. I think it's, again, Claudio wanting to reach out to Nuo, but not quite knowing how. Um, He talks about writing letters once again, and that's his primary method of communication, that even though he's there in her front lawn, he's not able to talk with her face to face. But then later in the song, it says, Ignoring the words of your obnoxious little brother, kill or be killed, spilled the words from your mother. I'll lay awake for a while. I'll leave the light on a while. He still has these memories, obviously, of his dead family. Memories of everything that's happened to him and how he has to move forward and remember the past. It's similar to the themes in The Crowing. I think my favorite part of the song is at the crescendo, the ending there, where Claudio sings, Your father's dead, he passed in his sleep, and I woke to the sounds of her crying. I think both the emotional impact of those words with the emotional way that Claudio sings it at such a high range really hits home for me. And then the very end of the song, the kids' choir is singing, Pray for us all. The ending here is Claudio's acceptance of his place in the world, how he's resolved to move forward and end everything. Pray for us all. And in the lyric booklet, it's not sung in the song, but the lyric booklet says, Dear Apollo, I'm burning star four. This is actually a reference to the next set of Coheed and Cambria albums. I hadn't noticed it here in the lyric booklet before, but I think it's pretty cool. Overall, I just, I think the song is another great one by Coheed and Cambria. It goes to so many different places and it really uh, hits you in the feels, if I do say so myself. Tracks 12 through 22 are just silence before track 23, 21, 13. Now, I'll admit that this song was a bit of a grower for me. It didn't immediately catch me when I first heard it. But the more that I listen to it, the more that I like it. I don't know if it was written in just a different mode than they usually write in, but uh, something about it just didn't hook me like a lot of their other songs. But I do think it has a really interesting sense of songwriting that we don't see from the rest of this album. The name 2113, it is a reference to Rush's album 2112. They fit it into the story. That is the uh, time that Coheed saw on the clock when he went to, I think, when he was going to kill his kids. 
something like that. They shoehorn that into the story, but I really think it's just more of a reference to Rush with Rush being another prog rock band whose singer has a very high range. I'm sure they get compared to Rush a lot. Now, with that reference to Rush the band, I do think this song sounds more like a 70s prog song than kind of the usual Coheed Fair. It starts off real groovy, as you can hear. The bass line carries the song. Um, it's It's got a good amount of space to it melodically. Uh, the, the guitars have some kind of funky effects on them as well that really harkens back to the old days of prog. Travis's lead guitar lines, it feels like he's just kind of jamming and feeling out the rest of the band. He's not really pushing the song forward with his lines. Uh, The song feels like it really creates just a bed for everyone to kind of play off of. It's more of a mid-tempo song. It doesn't really drive forward. This is the type of prog rock that I was talking about. It doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere per se. Like Coheed normally writes songs where it feels like you're, you're moving towards a crescendo towards the end of the song. It really doesn't feel like that with this song. There are some dynamic parts to it because there are multiple parts in the song and some really cool things that they do throughout the song, but it doesn't feel like it's constantly growing and getting bigger. It really kind of just stays in the same place done different ways. It is pretty cool, though. I like it. It shows the versatility of the band. It just doesn't have the same melodic hooks or the same sense of progression that the band usually shows. There are a few cool little time and tempo changes within the song that I also really like. At about the 4 minute and 30 second mark, there's a lot of acoustic guitar played, and uh, that specific part of the song, it really reminds me of something like The Who would have written, and I love The Who, so it's it's a really cool kind of nod and wink to that kind of songwriting. There are two other references in the song itself. At the 5 minute and 45 second mark, they start playing Time Consumer from their previous album, and they just give it different lyrics. That's pretty cool. They do a couple more parts, and then they come back at the end of the song at 8 minutes, 15 seconds, and they start playing I, Robot, and that ends off the album, which is pretty cool, because this is a hidden track. It's not necessarily a part of the album. I feel like the album ends with the light and the glass, but with this song added on there, they throw the ending song from the previous record on there, so it still feels like the ending to the album. I like it. I like this song, and I like what it shows, how the band can kind of change things up sometimes, even if it's not as dear to me as some of their other music, as the way that they write other songs. I I still enjoy that they're showing a different side of Coheed with the song. And that ends the proper review of In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. I love this album, as if, you know, if you couldn't tell already. I can't really say that I have a favorite Coheed album. It really kind of depends. The the first three albums by Coheed, I love to death. It really just depends on what I'm more in the mood for because they have different sounds to them. And to be honest, part of that may also just be nostalgia because some of their later output as well, particularly the Afterman albums, I think are fantastic and probably hold up to the same standard as these albums. I just have some nostalgia for these albums. Even if they do have some low points for me, even if I wasn't too big on Blood Red Summer and I really didn't like Back End of Forever that much, 
I still think this is a great album and it's one of my favorites. The good on this album really outweighs the bad, especially now that I've dug into the lyrics a bit more. It, it, I think it hits even harder. The last thing that I'll leave you guys with is something that I did notice in the lyric booklet. You know, as a kid, I used to go through these lyric booklets when I could, and I especially liked reading the thank yous at the end of the album. And there's something that Josh Eppard, the band's drummer, says that has always stuck with me, and so I'll share it with you here. Joshua thanks, and of course he lists off a number of people, but the last person that he lists off is. And how could I forget Mr. Idella, the ninth grade student advisor, who told me that I would never amount to anything playing music and that I should be a male nurse or something? F*** you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Listening Room. If you have any questions or comments, you want to contact me somehow. If you have suggestions of albums you really like or really hate that you want me to listen to, you can contact me at my email address, listeningroompodcast at gmail.com. You can call or text at 617-651-1116. Or you can contact me on Twitter. My handle is at Broccolope. Till next time, guys, remember, don't just hear listen.